So we're just going to focus on the first six verses tonight, and there are two questions. Uh, Question number one is, who are you? Uh, And that's answered in the first two verses. Uh, And then we're going to look at where do you look, or where should you look? Uh, And that's answered in verses three to six. I thought that was enough for us to get stuck into tonight, although I'd love to take you on to verses seven to 11, but I thought I'd be a little bit more manageable tonight. So, who are you and where should you look? Who are you? You see, who you are when you live in rural Kenya, sorry, there's a lot of Kenya in tonight, but I'm sure you'll forgive me. Who you are in rural Kenya really matters because their economy is really different to ours. Uh, You see, in our economy, we buy and sell. There's a lot of commerce. And therefore, if you have a bad start in life, you have the opportunity to recover. Not so in some of our poorer rural areas because there isn't so much trade. So if, for example, you're an orphan in rural Kenya, you won't inherit land. And without land, you won't grow. Without growing crops, you won't eat. Without eating, you will have to be the servant of somebody. That's just how life goes. You see, life there is is different to life here. And as I was reflecting on that on the way home, it, it struck me that actually another difference between here and Kenya is that in Kenya, they're rich in gospel truth. Uh, So they have many orphans with few opportunity to grow, but we have many spiritual orphans who have jettisoned a faith in God and are now asking the question. I don't know if you've noticed it coming up in the media again and again, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? So we're watching Captain Marvel last night. It's taken us a while. Watching Captain Marvel last night, and all through that film is coming this question, who am I, who am I, who am I, what's my destiny? You see, we as a nation have rejected God, but we're now the poor orphans. We chose to reject God, and now we don't know who we are. But here's the thing. You've got this guy, Paul. You've got him in prison, and we see that in verse 7, as we read. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. Paul's in chains. He's writing this letter. Look at verse 12 also. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that's the chains being imprisoned, has actually served to advance the gospel. So you've got this guy in chains. Look at just verse 14. And because of my chains... Uh, Verse 17, he mentions it again. Um, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So not only is he chained, we think to a Roman guard all the time on house arrest, but not only is he there, but people are stirring up trouble for him outside. Now here's the amazing thing, the thing that struck me again and again as I've read this letter. Paul's this guy outwardly, that it looks like life is crumbling for. He's near the end of his life. He's chained to a Roman guard. But look what drives through again and again and again and again. It's an eternal perspective. That's where he's looking. Um, And it's 
who Christ has made him to be. His identity is shining through. And here's the challenge, I think, for us. Sorry to get all the application out in the first five minutes. But here's the challenge to us. The challenge to us is, you see, we live in this country that in many respects is impoverished spiritually. But if we gain the perspective from this guy Paul in Philippians of who he is because Christ has made him that way, maybe, just maybe, our culture will see and maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to tell them this gospel that Paul tells us. So, Paul says, who are you? But these are the answers that he gives. Look at verse 2, first of all. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Look where this grace and peace comes from. It comes from our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul says is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, has come to him. And it's made him a different person. Redemption, being united with Christ, being forgiven for his sins, has set Paul's direction in life. And it's the core to his identity. It's the very center of who he is. That made me think, is it the same with me? (laughs) Now, of course, it's easy to say, I know that Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring us to God. It's easy to say, yes, and I agree with that. The thing that I've found challenging in reading this letter is that I don't always live out of that identity. And here's where that picture of Paul in prison comes as a huge challenge to me. Because you see, it's in the rough times that you find out who you really are. Isn't that the message of all the films? (laughs) It's in the tough times. But in Paul's tough time, what does he find? He finds this identity that's given to him. So, will you, will I, be a person who grace is my core identity, being found by Christ, is my core identity. Is that my individual identity? And then, how about us as a church? Is that our corporate identity? Will we be a people for whom grace is the most precious thing in our lives? The gift of grace. Because what Paul said in verse 1 will really test that. Have a look at verse 1. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And this word servant is basically the word for slave. So if you just flick back to Luke chapter 7, verse 2, exactly the same word in the original Greek is used there. It's used all through the Bible, mostly for servants. I'm just going to give you one example, though. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 2. There was a centurion's servant who his master valued highly and was ill and was about to die. Now, I've read that story many times. You have compassion on this poor servant that has no one else to look out for them in the world, apart from this centurion who goes to Jesus. And Paul uses that same word of him and of Timothy. What's he saying? Well, he's saying this grace, this peace from God, made him a servant 
of the Lord Jesus. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he means he's willing to go the inconvenience for the sake of other people. Because that's what a servant does, isn't it? The servant is there to do the things that aid the master. So Paul says he's willing to do the thing to aid the master, whatever it is. Maybe it's go on a YPF camp for a week and not sleep so much. Maybe it's to turn up for a fusion club and for the knees to creak a little bit. Uh, maybe it's to befriend somebody who's later on in life because you know time is running short. It's inconvenient. You see, a servant says, it's not my life, it's my master's. A servant said, it's not my agenda, it's my master's. When the master says, come, servant, do this for me. You see, a servant says, it's not my time, it's the master's. And a servant says, it's not my praise, it's the master's. I don't know which one of those you'd struggle more with. I struggle with all of them, uh, but especially it's not my praise. It's the master's. Because if we're really servants, it's not us that want the praise, it's actually our master. Now think of that servant. You see, you have servants in houses where it must be pretty tough. If your master is nasty... It must be really rough being a servant. But then, of course, you have servants in houses of great prestige, great honor. Imagine being the servant of the queen. You see, that's a position that, that in the end brings something to be admired in it. Now, think of our master. You see, you can't get a more generous master than our master. You can't get a more kind master than the Lord Jesus. You can't get a more glorious master than our master. So if you're a servant of this king, it's a good place to be. It's a hard place to be, definitely, but it's a good place to be. But look finally uh, at the second half of verse 1, because Paul, after saying that he's a servant of Christ Jesus, goes on to say the direction of that service. Do you see that? To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. You see, Paul writes this letter to this church, but he also says the direction of our service is to bring about this holy people, this church. He looks ahead he, he, of course, has one eye on the present as he writes this letter, but I don't know if you noticed and Daph made reference to it, he's got one eye to the future, one eye to the return of the Lord Jesus, and he looks at the people in this church in Philippi who, on one hand, are already God's holy people because Christ made them that way. But they probably didn't look like God's holy people right now. So Paul looks with the eyes of faith and he says, I'm serving my king for the sake of God's holy people. He looks ahead to where they're going to be. You see, in this letter of Philippians, you always have this theme of service now but glory then. So Paul's in chains saying, look at me now, but look where it's heading. 
And he says the same to us. You see, life is service now, glory then. Think of that. Jan's already referred to it about Fusion Club. You see, you serve and serve and serve, and it's a struggle now. Kids don't always listen now. They won't always sit down now. They don't always respond how you'd like them to now. But one day, we will see one of the pleasures of being in Kenya was to realize, I didn't think I'd cry tonight, but to realize that we were there because of Rob Dalton. You see, 20-something years ago, Rob Dalton was in my little group at Fusion Club. And I said to him this afternoon, is he here? Good. <laughs> he was pretty inconvenient that week. We had to reenact the story of Moses being rescued by God through the River Nile. All he contributed was a 12-foot crocodile made out of cardboard with great enthusiasm and wanted to retell the story through the eyes of the crocodile, as I remember. The crocodile was dominating everything, and, and I wanted to preach the gospel. You see, you'll sow, and you'll sow, and you'll sow. And now and again, you get to see what it brings. So I found myself thinking, I'm in Kenya because there's a guy that I had the privilege of sharing a little bit of the gospel with. Okay, Paul and Jane did most of the work, let's be honest. But you just get a little window on some of the future that's coming. And it was a privilege to be there and see that. Let me just fill in the story briefly. You see, Rob came to faith. Rob loves the Lord Jesus. Rob was modeled uh, that there are lots of people in the world that need to hear about Jesus. He's been all sorts of places around the world. One of the people he met is this guy, Michael, children's worker, brought him over here. Michael and I got introduced. Michael needs a bit of a hand. Would you like to come to Kenya? Yes, we would. That would be quite fun. And over we go. A fresh avenue in ministry opens up. But because of investment that went on 20-something years ago, it's remarkable. Now, who knows what stories like that we will know when we get to glory. Because, of course, now it's struggling. But then we'll see. You see, it's a remarkable thing that Paul says this when you see the pressure that he's under. But he's got this focus. Do you remember Linford Christie? Well, some of you weren't even born when Linford Christie was running in the 90s. But Linford Christie had this focus, this focus on the finish line. And it almost seemed to go up whenever he was under more pressure. So I think it was the 1996 Olympic finals. We were watching it in a cafe in Los Angeles, and Linford only looked at the finish line. The more pressure he was under, the more focused he became. And I think the same thing is happening to Paul. As the pressure on him in the gospel is upping, so his focus is narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. He knows who he is. 
Now we're going to look at where he's looking. Second half of the passage. So verses 3 to 6. We're going to start at verse 6 again. Where's he looking? Well, he's looking at the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, he looks at one who started the work. He's confident that Jesus began the good work and Jesus will finish the work. And therefore, Paul can serve him. Because it's Jesus' work, he started it. It's Jesus' work, he finishes it. So Paul can partner in that work. You see, that should be the great encouragement for those that have served the YPF this week, those that have served the Fusion this week, those that have served the older folks in the middle of the summer, those that have served the adventurers at the start of the summer, those that have served your neighbors by having them around for uh, coffee and barbecues over the summer, and those that are thinking, oh, flip, it's the 1st of September and the church calendar's all going to start rolling on again. Where will the energy come from to do all of that? Well, it'll come from here. It's his work. He started the work. He will complete the work. He will give you energy for the work. And look at what that day is. At the end of that verse, until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, the one who starts the work, the one who continues the work, the one who completes the work, is completing it for a day of Christ Jesus. And it's a day that I want in my mind far more. And I hope you want it in your mind far more as well. It's a day of urgency, like the urgency of a pregnant mom, uh, approaching the time when the baby's going to be delivered. And of course, there's all sorts of things that you've got to get sorted out before that day comes. And you don't know exactly when that day is going to be coming, so you get urgent about it and you make sure that you're prepared. That's the picture. The Lord Jesus is coming back. Let's be urgent. But of course, it doesn't just end with urgency. Because as, again, Daff referred to, this is a letter with much joy. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Because it's there that Paul reflects on this joy. I thank my God every time I remember you. Why, Paul? In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why, Paul? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, he's already got that end day in goal. From the first day until now, we've partnered in the gospel. We've partnered in this gospel that he started. We've partnered in this gospel that he continues. We've partnered in the gospel that he will see to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Look where he's looking. You see, if we look at partnership alone, we'll find that it relies on us. But if we look at Jesus alone, we'll find that we love having others alongside because he started the work, he continues the work, he'll complete the work, and it's a work we can all participate in. So where should I go when I'm not thankful? I should go to think of that day when Jesus is returning. Where should I go when I'm finding it slightly inconvenient to work with other people? 
I go to think of the day that's coming where he starts a work, he doesn't need me, and he's going to complete the work, but he chooses to use me. And my grumpiness should start to filter away into thankfulness that it's his work. It's his work for the day that he will return. So I want to apply this in two ways and then do a bit of wrapping up and then we're done. Two directions to apply this. I want to apply it to us corporately as a church and then I want to apply it to us individually because I think the two interrelate. Corporately, we need to remind each other of these truths. We need to remind each other who we are. We are servants of Christ Jesus It started with grace, and it works towards presenting God's holy people. So there's never a time that you don't need grace. Uh, There's never a time where you should forget that it all started with grace. And there's never a time where you should lose sight of the fact that it continues to the day of Christ Jesus. And then we need to remember where to keep our focus because our focus needs to be kept on that day that he's coming back. Our focus needs to be kept on the fact that he started the work, he continues the work, and he will complete the work on that day. Now, that's something that we encourage each other in and it's something that we celebrate as a corporate thing. But of course, we will celebrate it more corporately when we apply it more to ourselves, because it starts with us. And I've been quite challenged as I've thought about this, that I know this as an identity, but I don't live it enough. So again, that takes us back to our corporate. Please, will you remind me that this is my identity. This needs to be the direction of my eyes. Please hold me accountable to that. But also, as this week goes on, as you think about this truth this week, please can you be honest with yourself when you lose this perspective on your identity, when you forget that primarily you are somebody who has been shown grace, You are primarily somebody who is a servant of Christ Jesus. You are primarily somebody who is working to present God's people as holy. And you should be that person whose eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus. Now, when you lose your thankfulness when you lose your joy, when you just want to go it on your own and not partner with other people, that should be a little sign that you've lost sight of these wonderful truths. So, individually, where are your eyes? Corporately, where are our eyes? And there are two days to keep in mind as we finish. One day is two day. What's going on? Where are we going? Where is today leading us? And there is the day 
the day that the Lord Jesus is coming back. Of course, we've got to keep one eye on today because we've all got things to do. But you need to keep one eye on the day so that today and the day are both seen working together. Let me put that into an illustration and then we're pretty much done. Uh, there is a famous Kenyan chap called Eliud Kipchoge. I'm not very good at pronouncing his name, but he's a marathon runner. This year he won uh, the London Marathon. Did you see that? He was the little Kenyan chap that seemed to be sprinting for just over two hours and finished a marathon in just over two hours. Incredible. He, he is the world's fastest marathon runner at present. He's currently training on a secret location because I think it's Red Bull and Nike have challenged him to be the first person ever to break two hours for a marathon. Um, so he's training to try and be the first person to do that. Last time he tried it, he failed by 45 seconds. Now, how does he prepare for that? How do you prepare to be the first human being ever to break two hours uh, for a marathon? Well, you need to focus on two days, don't you? You need to focus on the day, the day of testing, the day when actually you'll lace up your running shoes for a slightly different reason to the rest of the days. You'll lace them up for the TV cameras to follow you, for the pace car to set your pace, to try and test the months and months and months of training. You need to focus on that day. So do we. That day for us is the day of the Lord Jesus returning. But secondly, you need to focus on today. You see, if he gets up in the morning and thinks, feeling a bit tired today, um, this running lark, it gets a bit boring. I know I don't have to run for as long as other people, but actually, I just don't fancy it today. If his two days are like that, on the day, he'll fail. But if his two day and the day line up, then maybe, just maybe, he'll be the first human ever to run a marathon in under two hours. Now, I'm really excited about that. He's already quite rich, but it will make him even richer if he does it. But just think of our riches when the Lord Jesus returns. You see, if our two-day and the-day get more in line, then the blessings that will come in his service by his grace are better by far. It's his grace. It's his peace. It starts with him but it's our service that comes in line with it for his holy people. It's his work and it's his day and it's our partnering with him for that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that although he was in pressure that we uh, don't know uh, the glory of you shone through. Thank you so much that his identity uh, was set by your agenda and your call on his life. Father, we pray that our identity would be the same. 
that in testing or in ease, uh, we will be yours and yours alone. And Father, thank you so much that his eyes were fixed like an athlete on the day that he was waiting for. And thank you that that day uh, is a day that we too can share in, we can partner in, we can look towards. Father, help us as that day and our today come more into line, we pray. Amen.